Today on Encounter God's Truth, we consider more about God's Truth Circles. It's the latest in our series called Basic Biblical Distinctions. I'm Wayne Shepherd, welcoming you back to this weekly faith-building presentation of Whitcomb Ministries. You can find us online at whitcombministries.org. Our speaker, Dr. John Whitcomb, is presenting a concept that he calls God's Truth Circles, which helps us understand more about how Jesus and the apostles dealt with people who were at various levels of learning and belief in the truths of Scripture. This gives us a model for knowing how we should deal with people today, and it also informs us as to how we are to handle and teach the precious realities found in Scripture, or as Dr. Whitcomb refers to them, the deep things of God's precious book, the Bible. As I mentioned last week, we've actually done an entire series of programs on this topic here at Encounter God's Truth, and you can go back and listen to them anytime at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. This sermon condenses this teaching in one lesson, which Dr. Whitcomb taught to the congregation at Grace Bible Church in Elkhart, Indiana. We appreciate their cooperation in allowing us to present it here on Encounter God's Truth. The great commission that Jesus gave for the church to follow in making disciples in Matthew 28 is restated by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, when he says to his disciple Timothy, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is an important concept for us to grasp, that we as Christians have a responsibility not only to evangelize, but ultimately to train others as best we can in everything that Scripture communicates. Please join Dr. Whitcomb now to learn more about how to implement this in practical ministry. Here he is with the conclusion of God's Truth Circles. We begin with a short review from last time. Now, here's where it gets complicated. Christ says, you're one in me if you believe me. But I have an enormous scale of qualifications for serving me. Now, what does that mean? Oh, my, this is going to get complicated. Look how Jesus set the pattern for your function as a Christian and for me in the body of Christ today in this world. Now, I realize you can't see this very well, but uh, let me try to point out the main ideas. Are you ready? The circles of Jesus' teaching. He said, now, you, you follow my example, because what? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So I want to I be like Jesus, don't you? I want to do things the way he did. I want to love people the way he did. I, 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 wanna, I want people to be changed forever because of something I have done to show my love, my concern, and to speak the truth to them. Now, how do you do it? Are you ready? Number one. When Jesus ever encountered a Gentile, he made it clear that the center of God's truth was Israel. That's amazing. I mean, he never brought them an official message. He, he said to the disciples, now, I, I, want, I want you to go to, not to the way of the Gentiles, you disciples, you 70 disciples of mine, Don't go to the Gentiles. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, friends, he did make one exception in Matthew 15. He found a Canaanite woman up there in Phoenicia, which is today Lebanon. You remember that one in in Matthew 15? And she came crying to him, heal my daughter. She has a demon. The disciples were disgusted with this Gentile woman. The Jews were taught not to have anything to do with Gentiles, see. 
she, they said, get out of here. Don't bother our master. But she clung to Jesus, said, Lord, uh, I mean, he, he, Jesus even tested the disciples. This is hard to believe. He, he said in the hearing of the disciples, the woman, uh, we don't give food to dogs that are for children. I'm here to feed Jews only. And you're a Gentile, a dog. Now, he's putting the disciples to a test. Because that's what they thought. Gentiles are what? Dogs. Evil people. Filthy people. See? Outside the realm of God's love and mercy. But the woman came to him and said what? Now, this is amazing. Lord, even dogs do what? Eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. He said, woman, your faith is great. Your daughter is healed. Now, that's a, I mean, that's an exception. How he dealt with a Gentile person directly apart from the Jews. And on another occasion, a, a, a Gentile centurion, a Roman soldier, said, sir, my servant is sick. You don't have to come. Just speak the word. Because that's the way I do. I just speak a word and my soldiers obey me. And you're the Lord. And you just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus said, I have not seen such faith, not in Israel. Jesus had tremendous love for, concern for Gentiles like most of us this morning. But you know what he had? He had an inner circle called Israel. But wait till you hear this one. Look at this. In between the Jews and the Gentiles was a half-breed group called the Samaritans. One day, he deliberately went through Samaria, John 4, and sat down at a well, exhausted. And who showed up? A woman from Samaria. An immoral woman, as a matter of fact. He purposely got her attention and pointed out the fact that she had an immoral life. She had had several husbands. She, he knew all about her. He had never seen her before. She said, you're a prophet. Someday when Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything. He said, I who speak to you am he. He led her to the Savior himself that day. The disciples came back wondering how can he, the Jewish man be talking to a Samaritan woman. He said, look at the harvest field. Watch what's going to happen. And that woman, that Samaritan woman, now a believer in Jesus as the Messiah. And by the way, you know what he told her, didn't you? He, she tried to change the subject. She said, well, we worship up here in a mountain in Samaria. You Jews worship in Jerusalem. He said, now, dear woman, it's neither here nor there, but they that worship the Lord will worship him in spirit and in truth. But the truth, it, salvation, is of the Jews. You're outside the circle, but now you're saved. And many Samaritans came, heard him, and were believed and were saved because Jesus had a love for Gentiles and Samaritans too. Now, watch the inner circle. You ready? Here in here were faithful Gentiles like that centurion I mentioned. In here is a, is a Jew who is an unbeliever and hates Jesus. Now, you know, what he, you know what he said about Jews that hate Jesus? He said they're God's people. Salvation is of the what? Jews. He didn't say salvation is of good Jews, Orthodox Jews, believing Jews, saved Jews, Jews that love me. He said Israel is the, uh, the people of Israel are God's people, special people. By the way, watch the news today. When people say bad things about Israel, they're in deep trouble with God.
You say, well, Dr. Wickham, most Israelis today don't believe in Jesus. That's right. The vast majority. One of the hardest places in the world to start a Bible-believing church is in Jerusalem or in Israel, anywhere. See? But guess what? They're God's special chosen people. And he says, he says through Abraham, Genesis 12, 3, if you hate, if you hate the Jew, you see, I'll take care of you. I'll judge you. I say, Lord, help me to realize that that's a special people through whom you're going to do special things to bring the gospel of Jesus Messiah to the whole world during the Great Tribulation. Be careful what you think about Israel. Okay? Now, here we go. But, but the vast majority of Israelis, of Jews, hated Jesus. Now, that's amazing to me. Because Jesus did everything possible to show them who he was. Isaiah 35 says when the Messiah comes, he'll heal all the sick people. That's what will happen in the millennium, you know. Everyone who enters the millennium as sick or crippled will be healed. So Jesus said, here's a premillennial visual aid now, illustration of who I am. He healed thousands of people. Month after month, month after month, year after year, year three and a half years, every crowds of people came. Heal them all. Heal them all. After a while, some New Testament scholars convinced there couldn't have been one blind, crippled, leprous Jew left in Israel when Jesus died. How could they hate him? Everything he said was loving, gracious, because Satan hates Israel. That's why. And Satan supremely hates the ultimate Israeli, Jesus. That's why. And Jesus said, if you speak against me, you can be forgiven. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, if you, if you say that my miracles are from Satan, you have committed the unpardonable sin forever. Israel, as a nation, hated the Son of God, the Messiah. They hated him because they were absolutely under the control of Satan and demons. Okay. So Jesus said, you know, as he entered the triumphal entry, as the Jews cast their garments before him, they thought he was going to deliver them from the Roman Empire and bring in the kingdom. They didn't really have to repent. They just throw a garment in front of him as he entered the city. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they said. But lurking in the shadows were Pharisees who said, rebuke them. They don't know what they're saying. And Jesus said, have you not read that out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of the enemy and the avenger. Yes, they hated Jesus. And he said, you are the enemies of God. See it now? Jewish enemies. But among, among the Jewish enemies were those who cast their garments. They were what? Untaught Jewish believers. What do you mean untaught Jewish believers? They really believed that he was the king, but they had no idea that he was going to have to die for their sin and they'd have to confess him as their savior and be born again. Now, let me give you an example of an untaught uh, Jewish believer. His name is Nicodemus. He came to Jesus one night and said, no man can do the miracles you do, sir, unless what? God is with him. I have studied your miracles and I have finally agreed they're genuine miracles. They're not sleight-of-hand tricks. They're genuine. By the way, all the Jews agreed those were genuine miracles Jesus performed. All of them. But most of the Pharisees said what? 
you have done the miracles by the power of Satan. And Nicodemus said, this is ridiculous. Satan doesn't go around healing people. I believe your miracles are genuine and they're from God. And furthermore, sir, I've risked my reputation and come to this back alley tonight in Jerusalem to find you and tell you so. Don't you think Jesus should have said to him, sir, you can't imagine how thrilled we are to have a man like you join our group. Up to now, we only have a few fishermen and a tax collector, but somebody like you, come on, welcome. Thank you. No. He said, unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. You're so far from the kingdom, you can't even see it. You say, wait a minute, didn't he, didn't he believe in Jesus? Yes, but he was untaught on how to be saved. And many Jews said, yes, he's doing these miracles by God. But they had not in their heart of hearts confessed their sin and accepted him as their Lord and Savior. To those Jews, he had a relationship to one extent only. Okay, here we go. Watch now. Inside of that group of Jewish believers who weren't very well taught were 500 who were well taught to whom he appeared after he rose from the dead. But you know what it says of them? Some of them did not believe that he was really there, alive, physically, resurrected. Even the 500 had a, some of the 500 had a problem. Oh, but wait, there's another circle that he had an even deeper relationship to. Look at this group, the 70. How many remember the 70? They went out two by two, 35 gospel teams to cast out demons. I mean, they could perform miracles and to announce to the nation what? Exactly what he had said and what the 12 had said month after month after month. Like John the Baptist said. Are you ready for this? Here was the announcement. Repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. You can't get in the kingdom just because you're a Jew. You can't depend on your genetic relationship to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You have to what? Repent. What's that mean? A profound, deep change of mind and heart toward God and yourself. God is holy. You're sinful. You need a savior and you have to change drastically, radically to get in the kingdom. Well, the vast majority of Jews were offended, shocked by this. We Jews repent. We don't need to repent. We're fine. We're the people of God. That's the lie of Satan. They were totally deceived. So the 70 were not everywhere preaching. Repent, repent, repent. Of course, you know, that's why they finally crucified Jesus, because they said, we, you don't tell us to repent. We're totally acceptable to God. Wrong. By the way, we have to be careful about that today. Don't ever say or think for one minute, I don't need a profound change of heart. I don't need to be born again. I'm a church member. <laughs> I've been baptized. My father and my, or my grandfather's a believer or something. Now, you've heard this over and over again. I'm sure Pastor Fisher said this endlessly. You, you, church membership is very fine, very important to God, but only on what basis? Of genuine new birth. Water baptism is fine. But guess what happened to me when I was a baby? I got baptized, triune sprinkling, in, a, in an Episcopal church at West Point where my father was a professor at the academy. And my parents were unbelievers. They thought, well, we've done our, you know, our thing for our boy, our baby boy. He's now a Christian or something. Or he's, he's okay with God. That was the worst thing that could have happened to me. To think, and for my parents to think, 
everything's fine. We've been bap- we baptized our baby. Friends, in Europe today, to say nothing of Canada and America, millions of unsaved baptized people. Unsaved. Baptized. Unsaved. I mean, God says, be very careful. Repent or you can't get in the kingdom. Heart matter. Heart. Okay? Thank you, Lord. I got the point. Repent, repent, repent. Okay? That's what the 70 said. Oh, but inside that group was a real small group that he really had time and identification with. You, you, you remember who they were? The 12. Look at that. He prayed all night to his father to choose the 12. You, you, I mean, that that's the 12 foundations of the New Jerusalem we named after these men. Ephesians 2, the church is built upon the foundation of the, of the apostles. Jesus, the chief cornerstone, but the apostles, because the apostles wrote the Bible, the New Testament. See, Jesus didn't. He didn't write one word. The apostles did. So you can't be saved unless you believe what the apostles wrote. That's the foundation of the church, you see, the apostles. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Matthew, Thomas, Philip, Nathaniel. Judas, not Iscariot, Simon the Zealot, James the Less, Judas Iscariot, replaced by whom? Matthias. Wow, the twelve. I say, Lord, what a group of people that must have been to be walking with Jesus day after day, week after week, month after month, three and a half years, preaching, teaching, performing miracles. Of course, one of them, this is the shocker, was a what? A deceiver. So really inside the 12 was another circle. The 11. The 11 born again apostles. Okay. And after Judas left, he had special relationship to them in John 13 at the Last Supper. Okay. Told them more things in John 14, 15, 16, 17 about himself and the Father and about them and their needs and their future and their destiny and the essential work of the Holy Spirit. He gave them special secrets, the, the 11 born-again apostles. But friends, wait till you hear this. Inside that circle, I mean, we're getting small now, was three that were especially close to Jesus. Who were they? Peter, James, and John. They were the three that he took to watch the resurrection of Jairus, the resurrection event of a, of, a dead, of a dead person. They were the three that were taken to Mount of Transfiguration to see a foretaste of the second coming of Christ with Moses and Elijah appearing there. They were the ones who later, uh, you know, in the Gethsemane, were the three that were to pray with him to the end. Special inner, inner circle, Peter, James, and John. My. And, you know, James was the first one that got beheaded. Peter was the chief of the apostles, the twelve. And John, as we shall see, was the greatest of the three. Look at this. One. What a privilege he had. By the way, let me make it clear. Jesus didn't exclude anybody. He said, come unto me, all you just come. Come closer. We're going to talk. Let's talk. Let's work together. Let's share. Uh, I want you to understand who I am, what I'm doing, and how, how to serve me. Come closer. Everyone who was in the center got there voluntarily. Nobody's excluded. 
Now, Jesus made it clear. This is somewhat difficult here. No man comes to me except God the Father draws him. God the Father is involved in this whole thing of who's in the middle of the circle, see, center circle. But whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Never in eternity can we say, well, I tried to get closer to Jesus, but he wouldn't let me. He had an exclusive group and I wasn't in it. God is quite arbitrary. No, no. Come closer, closer, closer. In what? Ministry privileges. Understanding God's plan, God's purpose, God's word, God's salvation message. Understanding the deep things of God's precious book, the Bible. How the world began. How it's going to end. Everything in between. Mastering the scriptures. My, John, was the first one who recognized that Jesus had been bodily raised from the dead. Peter got to the tomb first, but when John went in, he understood. John was the one who stood by Jesus at the cross when he was crucified. And Jesus said to him, what? Behold your mother. You're taking over the jurisdiction, the care of my mother. When I die, John. Of course, Joseph was already dead, you understand. Mother, behold your son. Friends, John is the one to whom Jesus said at the end of the Gospel of John, If I will that he remain until I come, that he never die. What is that to you, Peter, or anybody else? He didn't say he wouldn't die. He said, what's that to you if I, if I, if I choose? I have a special plan for John. And you know what he, how he ended up his life? After all the other apostles were dead and gone, John was on an exile to a remote island in the Aegean Sea called what? Patmos. And there God gave him the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Blessed are those who read this book, God said, through the Apostle John. I say, Lord, you're a respecter of persons, aren't you? Yes. On what basis? On the basis of how much you want to get close to him and serve him fully, effectively, and faithfully if you really love people enough. And I say, Lord, I, I think I got the point here. I got the point. Go to the sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Watch Israel. He answered and said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is what he said to that woman who was a Gentile in Canaan. See? And so I say, Lord, help me to get the picture now very clearly. The church's great commission restated. The things you've heard of me among many witnesses, he said to Timothy. The message, you, you, you commit the same. The same things you've heard. To whom? To faithful men who should be able to teach others also. Right here. Matthew 28 says the same thing. All things whatsoever I've commanded you, teaching them to observe, teach all nations. So the Great Commission is not merely about evangelism. It's ultimately about instruction in all the counsel of God. The strategy given by Jesus and Paul is completely counter to most ecumenical evangelism and church growth philosophies today. It's very hard somehow, friends, for us to fathom that God means exactly what he says. Dear woman, he said to the woman at the well, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Father seeks such to worship him. I say, Lord, help me to mastermind the basics of God's truth circles. I want to be in the center of your will. I want to understand your word. 
I want help to be disciplined, to cut off the TV or any distraction that is going to take me away from your precious truth. There's a price to pay to what? To be closer to Jesus and therefore more powerfully effective to help others that you love in the whole counsel of God. And my prayer, Pastor, for you and your church is this, like I pray for all churches that may invite me to speak from time to time. May your best days be ahead. Not as you compromise to be part of a bigger program, but as you get closer to Jesus and master his word and be available to the Holy Spirit to be powerfully effective for children, young people, and adults, loved ones, friends, family, neighbors, who need the whole counsel of God. Pray for us tonight. Tonight's going to be a hard one. It's called, Truth is Greater Than Love. Really? Let's find out tonight, God willing. Father, I just thank you for your precious word. Yes, some of these things are hard for me to understand. I, I, I confess that, dear Father. Help me to follow Jesus and to do what he did his way for God the Father and his glory. In whose precious name I pray, amen. Amen. God means exactly what he says. And on that note, and with that encouragement and closing prayer, we move on to the topic that Dr. Whitcomb has already just introduced, Truth is Greater Than Love. We'll begin our survey of that subject next week as we continue our series on basic biblical distinctions. We strive to provide edifying information all throughout the week at facebook.com slash Whitcomb Ministries. Please be sure to join us there and participate. And now for Dr. John Whitcomb, I'm Wayne Shepherd, leaving you with a certain hope that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end.